Well, hey, everybody, good evening. Welcome to Coffee House Theology. It is so good to have you with us uh, as we continue uh, this section, which is uh, on uh, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so it's kind of a four-week session before we jump into uh, salvation. Uh, and so uh, it's been good to be with, uh, with you guys on Wednesday nights. A uh, couple of things by way of housekeeping, uh, but maybe the most important thing of all, uh, you'll notice someone wearing a crown, a couple back here. Uh, that is in honor of their 50th wedding anniversary, which is today. So congratulate the Bullocks. Yeah. Yeah. What an achievement, especially in this day and age. So, and I know your kids, so I know what you've been through. I mean, you guys, it's so yeah, both of them were leaders in my student ministry. So uh, anyway, but it's great, but it really is uh, an awesome achievement and a great example to the next generation. So congratulations to y'all. And uh, I'm glad the Culver's crew treated you guys well tonight uh, and made you wear those so that we could all acknowledge you. Um, on the screen is a QR code. Uh, if you are getting our Coffeehouse Theology email, you don't need to do anything. But if you are not getting it, if you would scan that, that'll go right to my administrative assistant. Uh, she'll get you added to the weekly distribution list. Just that way we keep you updated uh, with everything that's going on uh, for uh, Coffeehouse Theology. Uh, and so uh, we'll put the QR code for Slido up there in just a second as well. Uh, but uh, take a minute uh, to take a quick snap of that. Uh, and um, stay tuned next week. We will plan to be in here. We were going to flip-flop with the choir, but I think uh, we are going to be in here uh, next Wednesday night. But just an FYI, if you show up and it looks like the choir in here, if you want to join the choir, go ahead, right? Um, but if you don't see Brian or I in here, then we'll be upstairs. Um, and so we're just, uh, just keep your eyes open. We're still working out some logistics. The great problem is, is that the choir's growing. We're growing. Students are growing. Everything's growing, even on midweek. So we're trying to uh, make some space things happen. All right, I think that's most of our details. Everybody's got that QR code. Here is the Slido room number for tonight. Uh, you can snap that QR code or uh, just go to slido.com on your web browser, 1949149, and you can ask questions. Uh, again, if you're new to us and you don't know how that works, you can also like questions. So the ones that are most frequently liked will get moved up, uh, and Brian and I will address those when we get to the end uh, tonight. Uh, so tonight is uh, an incredible topic. Of course, we're going to be talking about the resurrection, uh, coming out of talking about the atonement uh, and the cross last week. Uh, these two uh, items referred to as the work of Christ. So tonight, uh, resurrection and ascension, and uh, let's pray and then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the chance to gather together midweek. We thank you for the gift that your word is to us and how systematic theology enables us to look at the whole counsel, the whole weight of scripture, uh, uh, Lord, on matters that are of importance to our life and faith. And so, uh, God, tonight, as we look at the power of the resurrection, we're reminded uh, that it's not just something we celebrate one day a year at Easter time, but it is something that shapes our faith uh, every day of every year, because without it, we have no hope. Uh, and so, Lord, instead, um, the resurrection gives us hope. And as Brian walks us through the importance of this doctrine tonight, God, I pray that our hearts will just be encouraged. I pray that our faith would be strengthened. Uh, and I would pray that we would walk out of here like people who have been resurrected tonight ready to tell somebody about Jesus. So be with Brian as he teaches, be with us as we listen and interact. And it's in your name we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. By the way, I heard the comment about you turning me into a preacher on the podcast last week. I know, he's been, he's been saying that for years. Uh, yeah, this is, and this is not my thing. I, I stay in a, a little dark room over my garage by the warm glow of about four 27-inch monitors and being a mathematician, so that's more of my thing. So he kind of roped me into this slowly, and the Lord's kind of led me here. So it's, all of this is a miracle if you get anything out of it. Um, 
Yeah, this is, this is uh, we're doing the resurrection and ascension tonight, and really, uh, you know, what, what kind of hits me, being, having grown up in the 80s, was, you know, Huey Lewis said, if, if this is it, let me know. This is it, right? The resurrection, th- this is the crux of our faith, right? If this isn't true, we might as well go play golf, right? This isn't true. So... Um, do a little bit of review, right? We're, we're in the section of theology, dealing with the theology of Christ. Uh, we began with the person of Christ that we talked two weeks ago, uh, that Jesus is fully God and fully man and will be so forever. And, and this is part of the will be so forever, is what we're talking about tonight. All right, will be so forever. He brings us confidence and comfort, right? He is who he says he is. He did what he said he did, and he's coming back. Right, that, that, that's what that is. That's what the person and d- the divinity and humanity of Christ says. And then last week, right, we, we, and this week we look at the work of Jesus, the cross last week, and then this week the resurrection and ascension. Jay talked about the crucifixion, the atonement, right, defined as the work of Christ, the work Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation, right? This is where love and justice of God meet in the cross of Christ. I, I loved his explanation of the term propitiation. I'm big on language, um, I, you know, it, and we, we, there are people that kind of resist theological language to which I respond, do you know what a quarterback is? Right? Right? Why don't you say dude that throws a ball? Right? Because there's a language to football. And we should have at least as much respect for theology as we do for football. Right? And so we need to learn the language of our faith. We need to learn what these terms mean. And we're all fully capable of that. Right? Especially when you're under teaching like Jay's. Right, and so we need to know these words, right? That propitiation, the sacrifice that bears God's wrath so that God may become favorably disposed to us, right? So that we may be saved. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that absolutely awesome? Um, So we had to be saved, and in Jesus' crucifixion, he saves us. The primary application of the crucifixion is satisfying the demands of God, right? It is not about us. It's about God. Right? It's all about God. The secondary application is to us. Right? All of Jesus' work is God-focused. The cross is our victory. It cleanses us, teaches us to suffer and serve for God's glory as it shapes the lives we lead at the intersection of the holy God and broken man. Right? That's what the crucifixion does. And, t- and tonight we're going to look at the resurrection and the ascension, which is the second part of God's work. Um, and, and this is it, right? This is the crux of our faith. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, we're done. Uh, John Stott says, Christianity in its very essence a resurrected, is a, a resurrected religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. Uh, Tim Keller says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he, any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Right? Everything hangs on this. Most importantly, what did Paul say in Scripture? Right, let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 22. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Right? 
then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen? That's good stuff. That's good stuff. All right. We start with the resurrection. We're going to look at. We're going to start with New Testament evidence. Uh, the gospel gives us four accounts of the resurrection, right? In, in, in all four gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, and in John, I would like to read the account out of Luke. Um, this is right. It's fifty-three verses. What I, what I would like to ask you is that you you're welcome to turn to it and read along. I would like to ask you to listen. Uh, we are we are not a culture that is very good at listening. And we process information differently when we hear it than when we read it. And in Deuteronomy, God said, hear, O Israel. Right? Not read, O Israel. Right? Because we hear and hear and see and see in Christ. So if, if you would, would give me that, I would like to read this over us. And if anything sticks with you tonight, I hope it's this. Right? The, the word of God. Everything else we talk about is going to kind of center around a lot of the things that happened. That's why I really like Luke's accounts, right? He's very detailed, right? He was our, he was our, our physician, our, our detailer. And so this, this is fantastic. Um, the, when, and we're going to start with, in, at the beginning of chapter 24, the, when, the, the, when they're talking about they, which they begin, it, it's the women who had come with him from Galilee, followed and saw the tomb and where his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments on the Sabbath day, rested according to the commandment. And here's Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Well, they were perplexed about this. Behold, two men standing by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living? among the dead. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And they return, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who, with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, said, one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? 
And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be, cru- be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures of the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what he had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that just awesome? Mm. So obviously the epistle, or right, the, the, the gospels proclaim, proclaim the resurrection, right? In Acts, that's all they talk about, right? That's all they do is proclaiming the resurrected Christ, right? That's the totality. The epistles assume, right, that Christ is resurrected in order to, perform, in order to present the theology that they do. And then, of course, Revelation right, depicts Jesus in heaven, right, ruling and reigning. And so, 
you know, that's the basis, the basis of everything that the New Testament, I mean, everything in the New Testament rests on the resurrected Christ. And, and some of the, and these were estimates, they, a little bit of the evidence, this is not apologetics by any means, but there are, there are apologetic, if you want to go into apologetic sides of this, right, one of the things John Stott says is perhaps the transformation of the disciples of Jesus is the greatest evidence of all for the resurrection, right? Pete, right? who withered under the, the grueling, um, uh, you know, intense questioning of a teenage girl around a fire, right? Withered, right? In Acts, was, was bragging about, was celebrating being worthy to suffer for Jesus' name, right? And we look at that in all of the disciples. We watch how they were transformed. Um, and in, in that, and we've, and, we've, and, you know, we've, we've seen that there's historical evidence on the apologetic side. Let's look at the nature of, G, of Christ's resurrection, uh, that he's a physical body made perfect. Um, Post-resurrection, right? Some of the some of the disciples did not recognize Jesus, right? We see that we saw that on the road to Emmaus, right? Until Jesus opened their eyes, they were kept from recognizing him, and then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, as we just read. Um, in John, Mary Magdalene failed for a moment to recognize Jesus. Um, it said, having said this, right, John uh, twenty fourteen through sixteen. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, "Woman, why are you weeping?" Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Right? And she came while it was still dark, right? And then she turned and recognized him. Um, on other occasions, he was recognized fairly quickly. Uh, Matthew, 12, Matthew 28, 9. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Uh, Matthew, later on in Matthew 28, 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Uh, John 20, 19. It was the first day of the week, and the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw that it was the Lord. Um, on down 26, 28. And eight days later, the disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And John 21, down John 21, seven, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his garment and he, for he was stri stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Uh, John, and on down verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord, right? Um, Initially, right, they were, they were frightened in, in Luke 20, what we read in Luke 24, 33. But in 37, they were convinced by seeing his hands and seeing him eat, eat some fish. And, and that was his physical body, right? And there's, there's some continuity between the resurrected Jesus, but also differences. And I, I love what one author said, perhaps the difference was between a man who had spent his whole life suffering and one that was perfectly restored, right? Jay talked about that, that Jesus' whole life was suffering. Right, up to the cross. His whole life was suffering. And now he's resurrected, right, perfect, in an imperishable, eternal body. And so while there are things that are the same, it, it, it's, it's completely different, right? 
Yeah, Jesus' Jesus' body was different, right? Never to be weak or die, to put on immortality. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 15, 53. For this body must be put on the, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immort- immortality. Um, it's, an, it's imperishable, right, in glory and power and spiritual body. Paul goes, talks about that at length right, in, in 1 Corinthians. Um, Jesus had a physical body, right? And we, there's a ton of scripture that supports that, right? He could be touched or held, Matthew 28, 9. And behold, Jesus came and said greetings and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Uh, he appeared as a traveler on the road that we just read about in, in Luke. Uh, he took bread and broke it, right? When he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Uh, he ate the piece of fish, right? And while they were still, going back to the Luke passage, and while they were still disbelieved for the joy, they were marveling. He said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. We saw where Mary thought he was the gardener, right? We, we saw where he showed them his hands and his feet. Um, he invited Thomas to touch him. Uh, he prepared breakfast for the disciples, right? Come and have breakfast. And now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. Um, Luke 24, 39 and Acts 10, 41 explicitly say that, right? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Acts 10, 41, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. It was interesting what we saw in Luke that he could appear and disappear suddenly, right? Luke 24, 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Um, 24, 36, right? And they were talking and Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be to you. Um, John 20, 19, on the evening of the first day, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Uh, on 26, as we read, right? That, he, that although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. We need to be really careful with conclusions. Because one of the things I hear a lot of people teach is that he could walk through walls. Or you know, was beamed in by a train. Like we've got too, we watched too many episodes of Star Trek, right? He was beamed in. There was a little zing sound. And Jesus appeared amidst them, right? That, that, there's nothing in Scripture that says that. Right? There's, there's nothing in Scripture that talks about that, talks about that supernatural. Um, what it says is that Jesus, right, and the locked doors, but it doesn't say he passed through walls. You know, doors can miraculously open, right? We remember in Acts, right, when they were in the jail. Right, when they had passed in the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. Yeah, I've never had a lock open of its own accord. Right? And they went out and onto the street and immediately the angel left out. So God has all kinds of ways that Jesus could have come among them. Right, All kinds of ways that Jesus could have come among them. So uh, we have to be very careful with the speculation right, that's not scriptural. And so we want to take the word at the word. Right? Right? So just, just like I said, just notes on that because I've heard that taught a lot. All right. Both the Father and the Son participated in the resurrection. That's pretty cool, right? Some texts affirm that God the Father resurrected Jesus. Acts 2.24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Right? Amen. Uh, Romans 6.4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
All right, 1 Corinthians 6.14. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Uh, Galatians 1, 1, 1, right? Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Christ Jesus Christ and God our Father who raised him from the dead. And lastly, Ephesians 1.20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Other passages speak of Jesus participating in his resurrection. Uh, John 10, 17, 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So the best in the conclusion, right, as we take scripture again, taking the word at its word, is they both participate in it, right, in different aspects, in different aspects. So what's the doctrinal significance of the resurrection? One is Christ affirms the goodness of material creation. We talked about dualism last semester when we talked about kind of the, that, that there's a, there is a, an attitude and it really kind of comes back today, but, but especially back in the first, first century, there was an attitude that the spiritual is what's good and the material is what's bad. And so what it led to was people living a life that as long as you thought or believed the right thing, you can do anything you want with your body. That's how you end up with temple prostitutes. That's how you end up with, with these you know, horrific hedonistic right, customs that people were dealing with. But that was because, but Jesus says no, that there is a new Jerusalem coming down. Right? Jesus had a, was resurrected into a physical body. A physical, we'll get into that, a physical body ascended to heaven. Right? And we talked about Jesus was raised from the dead and will be a physical body forever. Right? That's what went up to heaven. He's coming back like he said, he, in the same way he went up. Um, God saw everything he, he made and behold, it was good, right? Genesis 1.31. And there was evening and there was morning the first day, right? We as resurrected people will live in new heavens and new earth, right? That's what 2 Peter 3. But according to the promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. Um, and we are set free from bondage and corruption, Romans 8, 21, that, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Amen. And in Revelation 22, 1 and 2, right, it describes it stunningly. The angels showed me that the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Amen. Y'all looking forward to that? Yeah, I'm ready to come. Yeah, anytime, anytime he's ready, I'm good. M.T. Um, Wright, I really like M.T. Wright, said the point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbors yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it all behind as the hymn so mistakenly puts it. 
They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom, right? A new heaven and a new earth are coming down, right? These things have eternal significance. What we do, and if the resurrection is true, everything, it matters in everything we do, right? Everything is different if Jesus was raised, right? Now, we must not fall into dualism, believe that spiritual is good, physics bad, or we may misunderstand God's plan of salvation. Um, Christ's resurrection ensures our regeneration. Hallelujah to that. Uh, Peter tells us of the resurrection through Christ, right? First Peter 1, 3, we read, blessed, to the God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, which helps explain, right, Paul's Ephesians 2, 5, and 6, is even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive with Christ, by grace you were saved, and he raised us up with him, seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, right? We may, so that we may know Christ and the power of his resurrection, that I may know him, Philippians 3, 10, and the power of his resurrection, that may, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Uh, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, right? The resurrection of Christ is tied to the power at work within us. The same power that raised Christ from, that raised Christ is at work in us. The Ephesians passage says, and what is, Im, it, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand and in the heavenly places. Uh, Romans 6, 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then Romans 6, 11, so that you may consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to, to, Christ, to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, sin will not have any, any dominion over us, right? In Christ, sin does not have dominion over us. For sin, Romans 6.14, for sin will have no dominion over you, in case you were wondering, uh, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Right? 1 Corinthians 15.17, if Christ has not been raised, you're futile and still in your sins. Well, we read Christ was raised, right? And so we are not in our sins, right? We are no longer bound by that. Yet many of us live bound to them, right? Because we do not understand the power that Christ has put in us what the power of the Holy Spirit in us is, to live lives of freedom and abundance. Right? That's what he calls us to. And not worldly abundance, right? but kingdom abundance. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? All right. Um, Acts 1.8 promised power to the disciples intensified for proclaiming the gospel. And we, if you've been in this church any time at all, you have this pretty much imprinted on your forehead. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come unto, un, upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Praise God, because we're the end of the earth, right? You get that, right? Praise God, the gospel made it to us. Praise God. Um, Christ's resurrection ensures our justification. Um, we have Romans 4.25 connects that directly, right? Who was delivered up for our trespasses, raised for our justification. Um, in Philippians 2.8.9, right? God's approval for Christ's work shows that all has been paid. And being found in human form, he humbled himself becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Right, And then Christ's resurrection ensures that we will receive perfect resurrection bodies as well. Um, 1 Corinthians 6.14, right? And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. 
um, in 2 Corinthians 4.14, uh, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and bring us to you in his presence. Um, you know, in 1 Corinthians, right, 15.20 talks about us being, that Christ was the first fruits, that he was the firstborn among many, right? And those of us that are saved are those many, right, that he was the firstborn of. Praise be to God. All right. Yeah, that's an, that agricultural analogy. And then we get to kind of the ethical significance of the resurrection. Um, the resurrection impacts our lives right now, right? Therefore, my, my uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 18, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Right? He calls us, that hope now calls us to, do, to work steadfastly. And we focus on our heavenly reward. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, right? We read this, then those have fallen asleep. If Christ not hope, we are most people be pitied. And then Colossians 3, 1 through 4, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ with God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Right? We have an obligation to stop yielding to sin in our lives. Right? Romans six eleven through 13. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. Let sin, therefore, not reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life for your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Right? If the resurrection is true, we are resurrected now. Right? Eternal life is not a length. It's a quality. Right? Everybody's going to live forever. Some are going to live in the presence of God and some in his absence. Eternal life is a quality of life, and you have that now. We have eternal life today. Those of us that are saved have eternal life right now. That's staggering. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you live like that? Right? Do you live like someone who has been freed through the resurrection of Christ Jesus in abundance? Right? I certainly don't. Not always, anyway. I try, right? When we, and it's when you focus. What do you focus on? Right. And there's, there's a lot of, Benjamin, my son Benjamin, the, we've had in here, right? He says there's a million ways to fall and one way to be true. And are you focusing on the true way? Right? That's what the resurrection frees us to do. Everything else Jesus has accomplished for us. Praise God. All right. The ascension into heaven. I'm going to take a drink and take a break for a second. Y'all doing all right? We tracking? All right. I haven't lost anybody. I don't see any casualties. That's always a good sign. About halfway through the teaching. <laughs> we try not to lose one or two every once in a while. It's not like yesterday, you know, Paul, I feel, I feel, you know, Paul had one fall out the window and die. I haven't had anybody do that yet, so I figure I'm at least ahead. God used to talk a donkey. I figure I'm also talking donkey class, so I kind of, kind of worked my way in there. All right. 
So after, after uh, the resurrection, Jesus was on the earth 40 days, right? Acts 1-3. He presented himself alive to them and suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom. And, then, and he, then he led his disciples out to Bethany and blessed them and was carried up into heaven, right? We've led Luke's account. The Acts account's very similar. It's Acts 1-9-11. And when he had said these things and they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way he, as you saw him go into heaven, right? He's coming back, right? Praise be to God. He's coming back. Uh, Jesus went to a place, right? He didn't disintegrate into the ether, right? No, this is not right, Star Trek, Star Wars, whatever, right? He, he went to a place, um, he gradually ascended, a cloud took him from their sight, and the angels came to tell him that they would return, right? So the spatial limitations of his body, right, meant he went somewhere, right? He went up in a body. So he went somewhere. Um, and he did not pass into some non-material form. Um, and, and what I've always, the thing I've always taken in this is that, that there are, there's a realm we can't see that's around us, right? And we, and we, and we remember that from, from like Elijah, right, in 2 Kings. Right, Elijah prayed, 2 Kings 6, 17. Then Elijah prayed and said, oh, Lord, please, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Right, there are forces at work that we can't see, right? God is protecting us in ways we don't even know about. We can't even imagine, right? Stephen in Acts 7, 55 and 56, but he full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God, right? Jesus prepares a place for us. In my house, <coughs> my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I, have told you, what, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's awesome. Right? Scripture does not tell us the, the location of heaven, but it's described as above. Right? We see the new Jerusalem coming down from above. Right? Revelation 21, 2 that we read. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And prepared as a bride and, and husband, as a, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Um, I, and I was very, my dad was an aerospace engineer, was a test pilot back in the 40s and 50s with the very first jets, and an aerospace uh, scientist uh, from the 50s to the, to the 90s. And so I remember uh, I, him talking about the, the Russian cosmonaut, right, when he first went up into orbit. Right, he went up and reported that heaven wasn't there. He did. He, he literally came back and said, There's no heaven. Went up, looked back. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, one, th one theologian I read, which I really like how he phrased this, um, said he scoffed that he had not seen God or, or he said the, the Russian cosmonaut that came back and scoffed that he had not seen God or heaven merely demonstrates the blindness of man toward this realm. Right? Because you can see and not see. Jesus says, and hear and not hear. Right? Those that do not know him will see and not see and hear and not hear. Right?
Jesus Christ received glory and honor that had not been his before, before as the God-man, right? Before he died, Jesus prayed in John 17, 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Right, Acts twenty two thirty three. Behold, therefore, exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Right, Philippians 2, 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. 1 Timothy three sixteen. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Right? He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Right? Right? And angelic choirs are now singing praise to him, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Amen? Yeah. All right, so, and so Christ went up and was seated at the right hand of God, right? And that's, this is called Christ's session, right? And, the, and, they, and, the, and it was an honor to sit down at right hand, the right hand. They call it his session because this place of honor was showing the completion of his work, right? That he had completed his work. He had come down, been crucified, died for our sins, and raised from the dead, Right, and he, and he is sitting at the right hand. Uh, Psalm 110, 110.1. The Lord, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Right? And that, this seating indicates authority. Um, Ephesians 1, 20, 21. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 1 Peter 3.22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. 1 Corinthians 15, 25, for he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet, right? And from this authority, he poured his spirit into the church. Acts 2, 33, before being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, right, that we've just read. Right? He's seated at the right hand of God does not mean he that he is fixed and inactive, right? In Revelation 2, 1, we see him walking among the, the lampstands. So it's not that he's seated and inactive. He is in that place of honor and given that place as a session of his work. Does that make sense? Right? You can be complete in the work and not permanently, he's not mounted like a statue. Right? And there are people that teach that, which is very confusing to me. All right. What's the doctrinal significance uh, of, the, of the ascension? Right? Christ, Christ's ascension foreshadows our ascension to be with him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, 4, 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will always be with the Lord. Hebrews 12, 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We right? talked to John 14, 3, where he goes and prepares a place to bring us back to. Um, Christ's ascension gives us assurance that our final home will be in heaven with him. Right, John 14, right, the, that he's preparing the room for us. 
Um, we are able now to share in part Christ's authority over the universe, and we will later share it more fully. That's Ephesians 2.6. Um, he raised up with him and seated him in the heavenly places of Jesus Christ. Uh, we share in part his authority over, over forces of evil in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6.12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 2 Corinthians 10.4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Right, 1 Corinthians 6, 3, do you know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining this life? Uh, Revelation 2, 26 and 27, the one who conquers and the one who works my, until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule over them with a rod of iron. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even I myself have received authority from my father. Revelation 3.21, to the one who conquers, right, I will grant him to sit on my throne as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And so that leads us to, to kind of the summary. There's, there, there are two big states of Jesus, um, which are kind of the sections of his life. And this is, and this is where this, this breaks into, right? There's the humiliation and the exaltation. Right, the humiliation was a crucifixion, what we studied last week, right? And it, it involves his our incarnation, suffering, death, and burial, right? And then Christ, Christ was then raised in exaltation, right? And that's his resurrection, ascension to heaven, session at the right hand of God, and return to glory and power. And that's why we teach it in these two parts, is this is how most, most of the theology of his works are divided into. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Good. And see, I told you I'd get done early. All right, so what? And I kind of wrote this out because this is kind of what I was thinking. Um, the resurrection is the crux of what we believe, right? If it's not true, we're done. If it is true, which it is, then all of our life, all of what we think and do and believe are transformed by it. The present hope established in the resurrection allows us to live lives of abundance, Lives understanding that any circumstance we face is not the end, but an opportunity for grace, hope, and love to pour forth from us. As we faithfully love God and love others, the resurrection imbues these relationships with an eternal permanence held together in the love and power of Jesus Christ. To him be the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. And let's end with a Tim Keller, a Tim Keller quote. I like how he kind of summed this up. He said, the resurrection was indeed a miraculous display of God's power, but we should not see it as a suspension of the natural order of the world. Rather, it was the beginning of the restoration of the natural order of the world, the world as God intended it to be. The resurrection means not merely that Christians have a hope for the future, but they have a hope that comes from the future. The Bible's startling message is that when Jesus rose, he brought the future kingdom of God into the present. Amen? We good? Now we'll see what questions you asked. My tag team partner will be up here in a minute. I think he's got he's had something else he had to run off to. And this is a new phone, so I have about a 50% chance of being able to figure out where the questions are. Well, check that out. All right, that was pretty easy. All right. 
pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation, which one is the end for Christians? There are lots of people a lot smarter than me that work on that question and have lots of different thoughts. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that to them. That is a really long, complex discussion. Um, why does Acts 1.8 say the Holy Spirit will come upon us assumes when we are saved, but Acts 8, the believers have not yet received the Holy Spirit. There, there are, there's, a, there's a theology that says salvation, there, that, that there can be a separation between when we are saved and when the power of the Holy Spirit comes down on us, right? And that's shown in Acts. So there, that, is a, that is a demonstrable case in the Word. Does that always happen? Um, I, I don't know that that's necessarily a prescriptive. So I believe there are times where you're saved and the power of the Holy Spirit comes down on you. There are obviously times where it doesn't, right? Where you're saved and it doesn't. And it's, it's attention like anything else in Scripture. We take the word for what it says, right? And that's what it says. I have seen cases in my life where the power, as I matured as a Christian, the power of the Holy Spirit came in me anew for, for different callings that God had in, in my life, for different things I was supposed to do. And, it's, and I do those things in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the power of the Holy Spirit enabled me to do things in my 40s that I could not have possibly done in my 20s right? because I wasn't mature enough. I, wasn't, I, I was not, had not been seasoned right, in suffering the way Christ seasons us in suffering. right? Because it says through perseverance yields character and character yields hope. Hope does not fail us. Right, and so he's put me through lots of perseverance. I'm also a slow learner, so I get to spend a lot of time in perseverance. Uh, But that builds a lot of character, so I got a lot of character. That's that's the nice part of it. You get a lot of hope. Um, The the, the wonderful part about being a slow learner. All right, what are some extra biblical sources about evidence of the resurrection for someone who may not believe truth in scripture? The the sources listed on the back are really good. Um, those, those are the, and I don't have, I'm sorry, I don't have the handout. The handout's got several, I think it's got, it's got N.T. Wright, right? The res, thank you. Right, the resurrection of the Son of Man. Is that on there? Yeah, if you, if, yeah, if you do N.T. Wright's resurrection of the Son of God, the resurrection of the Son of God, drop it into four-wheel low and lock the differential. Okay? Theologically. I mean, you're, you're going you're gonna to want that in four-wheel low. Okay? Just, just to kind of survive going through that. It's, it's a fantastic book. It's one, of my, it's one of my favorite books on the resurrection. It is, fa- it is every detail you could possibly know. It's fantastic. I've got a copy of it at the house. It sits on my bookshelf, literally on my desk. Um, Surprised by Hope is another fantastic book. It's not as heavy, and it's, it's a little more, Tom, Tom's a little more poetic in that one. Um, and he says things in, in some ways um, that, are, that are just beautiful. And then the Adrian Warnock, that's, that's a very... Um, a, a very classic, well-known text. Uh, and I'm not as familiar with that, but I know, I know how, how uh, established that is. Thank you very much. Thank you. Brian, I wonder if they met outside of the Bible. What sources do we have? Ancient text, ancient creeds. Whoa. I'm not broadly knowledgeable enough of that. Um, that's the reason I would turn to Tom. You know, Tom Wright's got a bunch of stuff in that. I, I would go to those books, and they will have those kinds of things in them uh, from, from extra-biblical sources. I'm sure Dr. Ortiz, who's over there, could probably speak a lot better to that than I, I can. Um, when will Brian be ordained? That's really not very funny. <laughs> y'all, y'all supposed to be my friends. I'm terrified enough up here. I'm sweating and shaking. Y'all, y'all, make it, y'all agreeing with Jay I'm supposed to be a preacher. <sighs> That's not make me comfortable. All right. That's not, not helpful. Okay. 
If Jesus was in his resurrected body, why would he still have the holes and scars from the crucifixion? Apparently to evidence his crucifixion that it's he is who, he's, who he was, right? And so he can show the disciples the continuity between the crucified Christ and the resurrected Christ. Right? I mean, I think, I think that's, that's the obvious. It obviously didn't seem to inhibit his function. Right? Didn't see, didn't, he wasn't in pain as a perfected body. But he must have used, that was used, and what we see scripture clearly teach, right, is when they saw those scars, they knew it was him. And so it was for his identity to his, to his, uh, what is tribulation? That's the, the thousand years in Revelation. Yeah, that's just more than I really want to go. We're not going to go through Revelation. By the way, Jay is one of the greatest teachers of Revelation I've ever heard. That he, he is the best teacher of Revelation. It's on our Station Hill podcasts. And anybody that hasn't listened to him teach Revelation, I would strongly encourage you to go listen to it. It, it, is, it is the best teaching on Revelation that I've ever heard. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, Romans 6, connecting our baptism with Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, how does uniting with Christ in this way contribute to our Christian walk? Uh, ba- baptism is a, is a statement, right? Because we do it publicly. And so it's a statement of our affiliation. Um, it's also a symbol. Right? And so symbolically, we, we are buried and raised with him. That's why we baptize by immersion. Um, and, and so it's symbolic. It, it reinforces, there are very important things to being a, a body. Right? There are things that bind us together. And God has given us things like the Lord's Supper. Right? And what's really cool about the Lord's Supper is it doesn't just bind us right, within this body, but it binds us with bodies through the centuries. And through the millennia, right? That's been practiced for 2,000 years. And it binds us with bodies all over the world, right? That's what baptism does. That's, that's what the Lord's Supper does, right? It unifies us as a, the body of Christ. Isn't that cool? To think that we partake in the same things the disciples took in, partook in, right? That's really cool. And so that's part of the fabric that makes us the church. And I, th- I think that's just fantastic. I'm sorry. I'm really, really big on that. Um, what happened to Jesus during the three days of the resurrection? The Bible didn't tell us. Right? The Bible didn't tell us. Um, why does a mathematician need so many monitors? Um, that's a fantastic question. I, uh, I, yeah, I do a lot of math. Um, it, I, yeah, I have lots of programs running. That's, these are really uncomfortable. Okay. <laughs> All right. It, it actually does kind of keep the room warm. That's why I have an air conditioner, because it's very hot, and i got lots of discs. Uh, you said you try to live in the resurrected life. How would you try to do that? We, we live in the understanding that Jesus has already won. We live in the understanding that we live. And one of the things we, I really have a problem with is we live a life where we are bombarded with the message of scarcity, right? right? Get what you can, can what you get, sit on a can. Right? That's what, right? Get what you can, can what you get, sit on can. Right? That's what the world tells you. Right? What Jesus says is you have everything you need because I've given it to you. And so you are free. You're not a slave to any of that. You're free to give. Right? We worry about giving because we might not have enough. And Jesus says, you have enough in me. And so anything you give will just come back. Right? That's what resurrection does. That's what resurrection is. And so we don't live like people of scarcity. We don't live like people that are afraid, right? We're not in fear of this world, 
right? Isaiah 11 says, and I love, the Lord gave me the definition, this definition of fear back in 2006. Fear is ascribing power and authority to something. Let me say that again. Fear is ascribing power and authority to something. Because here's how you resolve it, right? Isaiah 11 says, fear the Lord. Isaiah 12 says, do not be afraid. Is the Bible true? Yes. Are both those statements true? Yes. What he says is ascribe all power and authority to the Lord. And then the world's got nothing. Right? The world's got nothing. So do we live lives like the world is powerless to us? That's how you live the resurrected life. Right? That's how you live in the hope of Jesus. Right? We should be the most, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control should ooze out of us. Right? And by the way, trees don't produce fruit for themselves. I've never watched an apple tree eat an apple. Anybody? Right? You make fruit for other people. It's to be given away. And so those, those fruits of the Spirit are for the others. They're for the body first. Right? We take care of each other. Right? People, the church should be the most attractive body of people in the world by how we take care of one another, how we love and sacrifice for one another. Right? That's who we are. That's who Jesus tells us we are. And so that's how we have to live. Does that make sense? I am not a preacher. Uh, I know. Stop. You don't, don't help, Jay. All right. Ephesians 19, 25 says, the power behind the resurrection is still available to us in an immeasurably great way. How and in what sense is that available to us? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. The power raised from Jesus is in you if you are saved in Jesus Christ. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, right? I want to talk about not needing to be afraid, right? The resurrection power of Jesus Christ is in you. Let me ask this again. Do you live like that? At times, I'm the same way, right? In my best moments, right? In my best moments, right? In my best moments. My worst moments, not so much, right? In my best moments, right? I I live with the clarity and understanding, but, you know, and and the way you stay stay focused is to stay in his word, right? To have, that's what Psalms 1-1 says, we we meditate on his word night and day, or hogah, right? We, we, We chew on it, we hold on to it. That's why I like doing my Bible study early in the morning because it sets the tone. And so I think about that. I bring that back up into my mind throughout the day, what I've been studying with God's Word. And shockingly enough, the situations that occur that Scripture is relevant to. I'm just absolutely stunned at how like something like providence or maybe God has ordered my steps. Well, let's see. Yeah, the book says that. All right. Since Jesus had a physical body, how is he also omnipresent? That's a fantastic question, right? Because it says when two or three are gathered, I'm there also. Right? Is he? Yes. Right? But he's also got a physical body. And he, by the way, he said that when two or three gathered while he was in a physical body. Right? And so we talked about that being the divinity and the humanity of Christ. If you go back, I went into this a good bit on our, our, on our class two weeks ago about how the divinity in Christ, there are divine aspects, and that's the divinity, right? The divine aspect of Christ is with us always. His physical body is in heaven, and it's coming back down the way it went up. Right, we read that, right? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? All right. 
what Tim Keller books you reference. I've got them, I don't have the reference. I didn't write the book reference on here. I've got the references at the house. I'll, I'll stick that on the notes before we send it out next week. Is that cool? So whoever asked that, please, please be on the email and it'll come out. I'll put it, I'll notate it. I'll put it in my notes. Uh, see. What is the significance of sitting at the right hand of God versus left? The right hand was a place of honor. That was a place where you're, that was a place of power. Uh, that's, that's through multiple cultures. Being seated at the right hand is a big deal. Whoever sat at the right hand. Uh, when you, we had dinner, old school dinner parties, right? Whoever sat to the right of the host was the guest of honor, right? And so that's, that's just a, that's a, that's really cultural. It's through multiple cultures. Must be your teaching even with all your masculine guys, but multiplying his people uh, is the best way to learn the Bible, not at face value. Um, yeah, the best way is to do it. I mean, Bible Bible stagers. We have some fantastic Bible teachers here in this church. Get in a small group. Uh, we we learn best. We learn best together, right? Because for and you know, our pastor Brentwood always says, first person you lie to is you, right? Just be honest and nod, right? And so you need other people around you. And so as you study scripture together, what I'm always stunned by is usually when I teach a small group, I'm kind of wondering why I'm the teacher. Because most of the wonderful theology and thoughts come out of the people around me while I've been studying this stuff for a week. And so it's, it's just magnificent to watch the Holy Spirit work like that. And so the way you do that is, is collectively. I also have Bible software. I've, I'm a fan. Um, it's, it's pretty expensive. Uh, Rachel and I a long time ago, looked at our budget and said, we believe Bible study is important. How much of our money goes to Bible study? You know how much money we spent on Bible study? So we started investing in Bible software. And my sons use it. Uh, my sons, have, they have a, the version that's on their phone that allows access. We literally have tens of thousands of books in that library. We've invested quite a bit. Um, but we believe that's important, and it showed our sons. We're, we're kind of an academic family, and so it, it, it showed our sons the values of that. And so we have extensive um, Bible software tools, and those things are fantastic. Um, you should install seatbelts to keep us safe. We weren't going that fast. In the ascension of Jesus' name, the same way you would say ascend to a throne. Yes, it's a, it's a, lift, a raising up. Uh, you know, Jesus was physically right, lifted off the earth into, into the sky. Um, and that's a, a raising up. Was Jesus' body after resurrection be like the body we will have in heaven? Yes. When Christ comes back after the final battle, then there's a thousand years reign. Yes, he, he, Jesus is coming back in his resurrected body. And yes, we will one day have resurrected bodies. Which is, do, I, do I keep my scars? I, I hope not. I've, I, I'm titanium from the waist down. So I'm really hoping I get that replaced. If not, I really hope they never scan for titanium in airport. I'm just going to be one big beep. And it's like, what's wrong with you? Um, all right. Not a question, but uh, Patrick Shiner from Midwestern Seminary has a good accessible book on the ascension of Christ. Fantastic. Um, the Bible does say that Jesus was in paradise after the crucifixion for the person asking what happened to Jesus during three days. Yeah, he says, you'll be with me today in paradise, right? And yeah, there's, the Greek has no punctuation, and so there are different ways of interpreting what he said in, in that, whether it was actually today or it was today. You, there's different ways of reading that passage. Yes, I, you know, I, I would lean. There's not a whole lot of scriptural scripture that says what he did. So I, I would be very careful with kind of saying where he was after, after, after his resurrection. Are we good? I'm like letting you guys out here at 738. 
By the way, if we keep getting coffee, I have, as I said last semester, I am going to rename this Steakhouse Theology and be hopeful, okay, because I can eat a filet while I'm teaching. Um, wouldn't it be a nice smell, somebody back here with a grill? All right, we good? Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful. We're, we're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your son that saves us. Uh, we're thankful for the resurrection, and we're thankful that it's true. Um, above all things. Uh, we're thankful that you poured your grace out on us. You did not have to save us, and yet you did. And Father, we owe you everything. It, it, since the resurrection is true, Father, everything changes. Our marriages change, our families change, our work changes. Everything is different in light of the resurrection. And so, Father, we've encountered your truth tonight, so do not let us be the same people walking out that came in. Change us, Father. Anytime we encounter your truth, Father, it should be transformational to us. And so, Father, change us. Let us be different people walking out. Um, bless us as we go from this place. And it's in the precious name of Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you all.